Welcome back to another show of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. I'm here on the line today with Joel Phillips. He's in Mexico City. Joel is the CEO and co-founder of Seaglow and also of Piggy with a mission to connect underconnected people to mobile internet and mobile connectivity. So Joel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm excited. So um, let's get this kicked off. Joel, maybe I'll ask you a question out of the blue. How do you usually start your days? Like, is there any routine you have or anything you do to kind of get yourself in the zone? Well, I mean, this doesn't sound very uh, unique or creative, but I, I pull myself out of bed and I walk straight to the Nespresso machine and I do at least two of those. <laughs> but then right away, but well, actually, actually before that, I roll over in bed and I like review emails and messages on my phone because I, I sleep with my phone like a lot of us. And uh, so the first thing I do when I wake up is check and see what's, what's, what's happening. Got it. It's a bad habit, I know. P possibly, but that's, that's not ours to judge at this point. I think it just shows that you're like very connected to what you're creating. You're like right at it from the first second. Well, I think that's part of, you know, when you're a founder of something, obviously it's something that you feel passionate about. You know, it's not just a job. It's something that you live day and night, to be honest. And there's a negative side to that. You have to find ways to disconnect and to, you know, recharge your batteries or you get way too stressed out. But at the same time, it's, it's like you don't do it because you feel obligated to. You do it because it's your baby. It's something that you believe in. And you just, to disconnect from that is, is hard. So. Got it. So tell us a little bit more about Siglo and also Piggy. I'd, I'd love to understand kind of where you've come from with it, what you've built so far, and what is the next step also in regards to blockchain technology. Sure. Let's see. Well, I mean, to start the story at the beginning, I would say it started about three and a half years ago when I was living in New York City with my brother. And we, you know, we grew up and living in different countries uh, somewhat. I actually lived in Mexico when I was younger. So we, we traveled quite a bit and we realized that the world is a pretty unconnected place still. You know, whenever we go to a new country, the first thing we do is we go and buy a, a SIM card. And we, you know, then we realize, oh, you go to the corner store and you like, you know, top it up. And then you have a little bit of minutes and data that you could use on the phone. And then you'd run out and you'd be like, oh, I got to go back to the store. We realized that the majority of the world that, you know, it was a very different experience from living in New York City, certainly, you know, being connected. And at the same time, you know, I, I studied economics um, and I always kind of focus more on the social aspects and, and, you know, how we can, you know, deal with things like poverty and things that make the world a better place. And I realized a long time ago that internet connectivity is one of those things that makes you know, for both individuals and on a national level, it is something that brings, that makes life better, that facilitates upward economic mobility for people because they have access to information, to communication and all these things. So anyways, kind of all that rolling around in my head, we were in New York, and my brother and I, and we we're talking one day and we're like, why can't we make a model that's more like radio, you know? Radio's been around forever and it's free, but you listen to the music you want, you listen to a show you want. Why couldn't we make a model more like that, but for smartphones? And we came up with some ideas and then we were like, but wait a second, you know, we need to, it's going to be hard to build that in New York City. It's going to be expensive and it's not really the right market because in, in the US and Canada and these other countries, we have unlimited data a lot of times or we have, you know, 20 gigabytes of data and it's, it's not really an issue, but we knew that in emerging markets, that's where the real need was. So anyways, we decided, hey, well, let's go back to Mexico City and let's get on the ground. Let's figure this out. Let's build a prototype. Let's make a pilot and see what happens. So we did that and we launched this app in Mexico called Piggy. It's spelled P-I-G dot G-I. It's, uh, you know, an app for Android phones um, so far, although we're working on a, an iPhone version. And basically, 
it, it's pretty simple. It puts content on your phone sponsored by brands, not all of it. Actually, the majority of it's just content that we kind of curate pull from different areas. Um, but, you know, 20, 25% of it would be brand sponsored and the brands pay us. And then we pass most of those savings on to our users. And what happens is they earn a coin, a digital coin called a piggy coin. So every time they're looking at data or sometimes we say, hey, we'll give you 15 piggy coins, but, you know, answer these three questions. Well, I prefer my beer in a bottle or do you prefer your beer in a can and what kind of presentation? So all sorts of stuff that brands want to know. We kind of source it out to our users and they earn piggy coins. And right there in their application, they can exchange those piggy coins for airtime top ups with any of the carriers. So it's pretty simple. At the end of the day, you know, in 2020, the projections are that $200 billion is going to be spent on ads, most of that on mobile ads. So the idea is, wow, well, why can't we take the majority of that and pass it on to the end user in the form of more connectivity? And it's a win-win situation because people get more connectivity, they're happy. And well, brands, they want to connect with people. And if people aren't even connected, they're not going to be able to do that. So we kind of built this model out. We've learned a lot. We did a pilot a couple of years ago. And we rebuilt everything from the ground up based on what we had learned. Um, it's definitely evolved and is a lot different than what we originally intended when we were in New York, kind of brainstorming on top of the, the roof of the building that we were living at the time. But yeah, so that's, so that's Piggy. Right. And so today we have about a million. People's desire to be online and connected, but also brands' desire, like the desire of, of big corporations to have access to this very individualized data which I guess yeah. is kind of like a, simply just a matching of, of what's real time out there in the market. Exactly. And at the end of the day, we've learned that people are, are super willing to share their data, so to, so to speak, you know, share information about themselves or their opinions, especially when they can be you know, compensated for it. You know, I mean, all day long, you know, you, you're on Facebook. Facebook is taking your data and they're monetizing it every which way. You know, they've been in the news a lot which is okay. You know, I understand, you know, those of us who are technical realize, well, they have servers, they have, they, you know, they have, it's free because they can monetize their data. But what we've done is said, well, look, let's make a model where we can kind of make a marketplace where users can choose to share their data if they want to with the brand that they want to, but when they do, they earn coins, digital coins. Like so it's worked well. With people owning their own data to a degree, well, maybe not owning their data, but getting a benefit. Well, of that, that's a good point that you make. And that's exactly where we're going with this. I mean, from the beginning with Piggy, we've always been very clear that, you know, you know, terms and conditions, we're never going to share your data with any third party, you know, unless if it's anonymized insights report that we'll give to a brand. For example, you know, let's say a beverage company comes and they do a survey with us. And it's about, you know, the presentation of, you know, do you like your beer in this bottle or this bottle? Um, this is an, kind of a real example. But we go back to the brand and we say, well, look, here's the results. You know, we'll never say, you know, this per particular person or any kind of private data, but we'll say, guess what? Women between this age range who, you know, are single really like this and this area of the country. But if you go down to this area of the country, we find that this. And that's exactly, you know, brands are all over that kind of information. They need that kind of information. So it's, it's, it's a win-win. But it's interesting that you mentioned that because where we want to go with this, and this kind of goes into the new project that we're launching called Siglo, which is actually a blockchain protocol that will ultimately open up for other apps to use like Piggy or other models where the same kind of transactions take place between, you know, um, the mobile operators and users and, you know, some kind of brand or entity that wants to get behind it as a sponsor. But one of the key values there 
is the privacy of users' data and trying to put that ownership in the hands of the actual user. I guess we think that the whole user data privacy system is kind of broken when it comes to big data. You know, there's a lot of black boxes and walled gardens, you know, Facebook, they have all this data, but they own it and they can do with it to a certain extent what, what they please. But we think blockchain technology, which kind of decentralizes things, so it's not all in one little black box, is the way that it's going to be in the future. And that's what we're, we're working on some stuff to build that out. So if a user comes to us and they start using Piggy or another app in the future, they actually have a smart contract on the blockchain that says, I own my own data and I have the right to share it with who I want and not share it with who I don't want. And when I do share it, I have the right to be compensated for it. So that's, that's exactly what we're working on. Wow. I think that's a very strong stand you guys are making. And also, I remember you and I met in, in Davos in Switzerland, kind of around the World Economic Forum's meeting. And that was more or less one of the contexts I've heard between the lines, maybe not as a reality for right now, but a direction of us and the way that we share and, and kind of ha accumulate our own data, the data yeah. of the individual must to some degree or other also benefit the individual. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to give you an example, the New York Times did a study several months ago and they found that this is in the U.S., that the average person's data is worth about $1,000 per year. Now, that's a lot of money. Now, how much of that do you see as an individual? Pretty much nothing. And obviously, in emerging markets, that figure is a lot less. But still, you know, that's a lot of value. And in emerging markets where people need it the most for basic things like just to stay consistently connected, if we can put that to use, then boom, we think that that's a super sustainable and scalable model that can help get a lot more of the world connected. But again, data privacy, you know, to be honest, we haven't figured it out completely how it's going to be using it. But we know that by decentralizing things, And, you know, I don't necessarily want to get into blockchain and what all that means, but, you know, blockchain, typically databases are very centralized. For example, Facebook or a bank, you know, they own all that data. They have it on their servers. They protect that, or so we hope, and they can do with it what they want. But when you decentralize things, those databases are spread out among all the different users. Anonymized, of course. So there's not like private information that's available, but no one person can do something with that data without the rest of the involved parties knowing about it. So it's kind of a way to hold everybody accountable and to be very transparent about what is done with certain data. So there's no doubt in my mind that we're working on this heavily, that blockchain has a lot to do with the future of how you know, we manage people's data. Got it. Yeah, I think this is a topic where you said without going too deep into it, we, we all still need a lot of education because even the quote-unquote experts in the blockchain or cryptocurrency yeah. segment, I think we're just scraping the very surface of it. And I've heard people compare the stage of where we're at when like 1996 in the age of the internet, right? Yeah. Uh, the founder of Futurism.com on the show a couple of weeks ago, Jordan Lejuan, who said like, yeah, we're, we're like way before the dot-com bubble burst, you know? So in, yeah. in comparison of times, and I see a big truth in this because there's so much hype and so much kind of like, opinion around blockchain, but the true use case where it benefits the individual, I think has yet right. to be found. And what you guys are explaining, I think makes a lot of sense to me. What I would love to understand is with Piggy, how many people have you touched so far? Like how, how can I picture that? Like how, how is the distribution of this kind of access to more connectivity? 
Yeah, so we started out in Mexico, and shortly after we launched in Colombia as well. Those are the two markets that we're live in now. Although we have a lot of bleed over in the other surrounding areas in the U.S. and South America, but we have about a million, um, a little over a couple of weeks ago, we passed a million verified and registered users. And you know, of course, some of those you know stay around, and some of them don't. But we have you know several hundred thousand that are just actively using the app. And to date, we've given out about six hundred and fifty thousand U.S. dollars of top-ups to our users. A top-up being a credit, you know, appointed to their phone number to give them more access um, to data and to minutes. So, you know, that's we think that's a lot. You know, we obviously we want to grow a lot bigger than that and have even a greater impact. But those are all people that are now, you know, again, that's six hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of of more. Connectivity, because at the end of the day, users in Mexico, to give you an example, the average user spends about six dollars a month on mobile. Not very much. Now, the average user, let's say a user on on Piggy, earns an extra three dollars. Again, they're not now spending three and having three for free. They're still spending the six, but now they have an additional fifty percent of connectivity that they didn't have before. Um, so they're that much more connected. So that's. That's kind of the most tangible way to measure the the impact. I mean, we're constantly evaluating and, and trying to optimize things because we want to make that go as far as possible. My end goal would obviously be, you know, to get to the point where we could actually give somebody a free smartphone. Maybe somebody that's never had one and say, look, here's a free phone and it's not going to cost you anything. You have all the internet you want, but it's paid for by by brands and you can share your opinions and share your attention with them when you want. But when you do, you know, you're going to be compensated for that. And this, you know, you're connected for free and we can change your life because of it, because we're giving you access to information, to communication with the rest of the world. And we think that's a big, a big game changer. So we're not there yet. That's where I want to get to. And I think it's pretty realistic to think that we can get there. Interesting. It's also very powerful because I think kind of looking backwards at what you're creating, you're just kind of using the system the way it's already running. The brands are simply yeah. having access to people's data. But the other way around, you're also making users a lot more aware that their data is being seen, right? So yeah. the moment you get compensated for it, in your own mind, you have like an aha moment where you're like, oh, wow, I gave this information. Now I received this for that. So at least you're connected. Exactly. Because until now, most people, unless they kind of dig a little deeper in, excuse everyone who, for whom this is a total clarity, but we all live kind of in, in separate silos of bubbles, right? And in our own bubble, I mean, it's clear that Facebook and Google owns our data. But for a lot of people, this is increasingly becoming clear. But they, before they heard about Cambridge Analytica or other companies, they had no idea. And yeah. you're basically also educating people about this. What I would be interested in now is like, it sounds like you have brands requesting certain pieces of information. But is there also like, apart from the, the shape of your, your bottle of beverage, what other questions do, do you ask your users? Like what's maybe like, the more interesting pieces where you can really also like, I wouldn't want to say measure people's place of awareness, but like realize what kind of life they're living. Yeah, that's actually interesting because we, we did a survey in Mexico a couple of months ago and somebody, it's, it's a non-government agency that put together um, a list of questions that with that data, they can determine like where somebody falls in the socioeconomic level. But there are questions like, you know, how many light bulbs do you have in your house? And, you know, how many rooms are in your house? And are the floors of your house, are they dirt or are they, you know, concrete or are they some other things? And based on all these kind of questions that are somewhat indirect, 
at the end of the day, you say, okay, well, this person would kind of fall in this level, economic level. So that was super interesting when we did. Again, we didn't, we don't share personal data back, but we got a better idea of, you know, like where a lot of our users fell. And in Mexico, for example, the government classifies socioeconomic levels of people by calling them A, B, C, and D. A being, you know, the very top percentage, the people that have, that travel a lot, that have disposable income, all the way down to D being people that are, you know, on the lower end of that. And we found that most of our users fell in the C to D range, which is what we kind of expected, but it was kind of an interesting thing. But we do a lot of other kinds of, a lot of times we just do funny quizzes, we call them. And you're just like, you know, hey, would you, do you identify more with this actor or that actor? Or, you know, if you could, you know, they're just fun stuff, kind of stuff you'd see on BuzzFeed. And we do it because one, because our users ask for it. They're always like, hey, send us more surveys. We have fun doing it. And our surveys are very much BuzzFeed style where it's like, you know, pick a picture or pick the other picture. And then at the end, it's like, you know, you're more like this type of person because you answered this way. And it's just kind of fun, curious stuff that they can share on Facebook or whatever. And some of that's not even monetized. I mean, we just do it for fun with our users. Just one thing we learned at the very beginning early on was, well, I mean, when I first had the idea, I kind of imagined ourselves just, you know, we'd put a hundred ads in front of people all day and we just monetize it. And then we realized, well, that's a terrible user experience. You know, nobody's going to put up with that. So then we realized, well, it's about putting kind of the right thing in front of the right person. But, you know, maybe it's the news. Maybe it's, you know, some interesting viral article about cats. Maybe it's in each person, it's going to be different. That's the, you know, the big point. So we've done a lot of work trying to like figure out like what are people's preferences, you know, like somebody always tends to, you know, engage when we put something about sports in front of them. Well, chances are they like sports. So there's a lot of things like that that we're doing internally to kind of optimize, you know, the relevancy of, of different kind of content. A lot more to do there too, a lot of work left, but off to a good start. Got it. So it's like a mix of making it playful, but then also kind of taking out information that is going to be very valuable to brands. So your business model keeps rolling. Exactly. Especially on the piggy side and even, you know, the piggy and the, the, the logo for piggy, the cute little pig, it's very informal. We try to gamify it as much as possible. Now the blockchain protocol that kind of was born out of this, which will be independent from piggy. And again, ultimately we'll open it up and other apps will be able to use it because we, we see it as well. You know, we can build a whole ecosystem here yeah. where, you know, there's all sorts of models where we can use brands to kind of become the sponsors of, of users' internet. For example, we have this a big, huge brand came to us in Mexico, and they have like two or three hundred thousand little mom and pop stores that they work with to distribute their their products. And you know, we were surprised because they came to us and said, "Look, we don't have a, an efficient way to be able to communicate with these store owners to talk to them about like a promotion that we have on a certain, you know, beverage or you know, whatever it happens to be. Right now they spend a ton of money. There's a whole chain of, you know, the guy who delivers the goods to the store. And then there's the salesperson that makes the rounds. It's completely inefficient. And they're like, we'd be super happy to pay for some basic internet for our users because most of them have an Android device in exchange for having a way that we can like be in front of them, ask them questions and kind of get that feedback. So there's a whole lot of different models that kind of fall under that. And we see Siglo as the way that we can open it up and kind of scale it across and have a, have a bigger... You see, bigger now I'm diving a little bit deeper into the topic of blockchain after all. I, I think <laughs> what I've heard and seen and how people had explained to me with their vision for their own either coin or kind of, well, application within the blockchain, I feel like what we're building here, kind of if the internet used to be only websites, right? It only used to be like 
a one linear, you could go to this place and then you could read information. And then at some point it became 2.0 where you had interactions between the websites and then personal profiles and kind of an, an, a steady information flow. Now for me, it seems like on top of that or, or even underneath it as a foundation, we're building like entire ecosystems where right. not just information is flowing, but the ecosystem of transactions. Yeah. And it, it's That's... a little hard to conceptualize because it's just words at this point, but it, it's very interesting to see that out of one idea that you guys are building, other brands would come to you and even expose themselves vulnerably and say, look, we can't even really tell this to anyone, but we have 200,000 customers that we don't have contact with. Exactly. And now we need your new ecosystem that you've built to connect with them via this uh, like, like donkey bridge of like giving them mobile access, which then at the yeah. end of the ecosystem, the user themselves also has a benefit from it. I feel like blockchain as a technology really is the ability to create triple wins, economically speaking, like I win, you win, and the entire environment wins. Right, exactly. Because the blockchain basically, you know, have all these different cryptocurrencies and stuff, but each one is kind of creating their own little economy. But the, the cool thing about blockchain is it gives you the ability to incentivize the right kind of things. So, you know, you could have, but you can incentivize the, the good things. You can incentivize behavior by having a token that people earn. And by doing so, you kind of, you maximize the efficiency of the economy for, you know, these are little micro economies focused on certain little verticals, perhaps. But again, I think you brought this up earlier. Today, we've yet to see any kind of blockchain. Well, I mean, this is a bold statement, but none of it has had a really broad impact down to the masses of people really affecting the everyday transactions. It's starting to happen with a few, but still, it's not that... It's not that tangible for your average person, especially especially in emerging markets. But it's a good point that you bring up too, because you know when we call we say Siglo is the is a blockchain protocol for digital inclusion, meaning getting people connection. But also, what follows digital inclusion is financial inclusion. A lot of our users, most of our users, don't have a bank account. They're not saving their money in any kind of you know perhaps they are in little informal ways in their communities but they don't have an efficient way to transfer funds. They don't have a good way to invest. But once we have a whole ecosystem of users who are, you know, earning connectivity, they're earning points, they're earning tokens, they can also start to be like, Hey, well, I can send my friends some of this digital money that I've accrued. Oh, and you know what? Maybe I'm just going to hold on to it because, you know, in the future I might need it. So I'm going to save it. And, you know, well, maybe in the future I can use my Siglo tokens that I've earned to also pay for a drink at the corner store. So the whole kind of economy kind of builds around that. But we feel like the base of that is getting people connected because until you're connected on a consistent way, it doesn't even make sense. To, you can't participate in the blockchain if you don't have connectivity. So yeah, th there's a whole lot of... It's a deep rabbit hole. Yes, it is. It is. But we, and we have huge plans and we think that we... One step deeper we're taking here because I, I guess, again, it's 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 very early stage in this entire game and we're just kind of building it with each other, right? So, yeah. so maybe- Which is actually another thing I really love about the whole blockchain community. It's very about collaborating and it's about working together and finding solutions and, hell, you're building that? That's kind of like what I'm building. But in the past, it was kind of like, ooh, I'm not gonna talk to that person because maybe they're my competition. Now, at least, and I hope this remains, in the blockchain community, it's a little bit more like, let's, let's share ideas wow, that's really cool what you're doing. Maybe we could use some of that. And it, you know, it's very collaborative. It's very socially driven. It's very much about how can we make the world a better place, which is, I love that. And I really hope that the community can, can maintain that.
So on that note of how do we make the world a better place, or there's a famous Buckminster Fuller quote slash question, like, what would it take to create a world that works for everyone? On that note, like, what, what would it take? Like, do you have any, you know, I, I ask people on my show usually, what's your 200 year vision for planet Earth? Simply to take them into, into another mindset, like outside of the regular way of thinking. What's yeah. your, what does it take? Well, I think for starters, and then, you know, just in light of the conversation we've had, for starters, it means that everybody's connected. Because, you know, we like to talk about, oh, it's a connected world. And reality is it's not a connected world. <laughs> this connected certain parts of the world, but the vast majority of it's not connected. So I think, you know, in the future, that's, that's the reality is we're all connected. And I can talk to somebody in some little village in South America or Africa or Southeast Asia just as easy as I can call my mom in Colorado. And we can interact and jump on a call like me and you are doing that's still not accessible to a lot of people. So I think that's certainly the beginning. But I think that, you know, augmented reality, there's a lot of things that are going to have a huge impact in the next 10, 20 years. 200 years? Wow. I, don't even, I can't even think that far. But I think even the next decade is going gonna, gonna to surprise us. Yeah, it's certainly going to surprise us. Let me ask you an, another kind of follow-up question then. What's your, what's your take on universal basic income? I think it's really interesting. I, I love the, some of the studies that are going on right now on the subject. I'm not an expert on the subject. I like to think universal basic internet is also a part of that. And I'm not, maybe I'm just too much into my own little world, but I, I really think that that's, yeah, I think basic income is important to, that we get everybody at least having the basic necessities that they need. But yeah, I think basic internet's a big part of that. I think it's an interesting concept. I think I want to see the results of some of the studies that are going on right now and see, you know, how that really impacts communities. I know, I know there's a couple of them. I recently heard that Y Combinator is actually behind one of them. I forget where they're doing there. I think it's actually a couple U.S. cities, but I might be wrong on that, where they're doing a couple there's, year experiment. Um, kind of like projects everywhere around the world where, they're, where UBI yeah. is tested. I, I like your spin on it, though, Universal Basic Internet. I think also that is a possible reality with, with satellite internet being on our horizon. Mm -hmm. We are living in a world that talks about connection, but in truth, half of the world's population are not on the internet yet. And that's, that's 3.5 billion yeah. people. So that's, that's quite a bit. Yeah. And, it's, and we're actually working with some satellite providers to, and running some pilots on that as well, because we realize there's certain rural areas where there's no cell phone towers and the mobile operators have little incentive to put them there because it's such a small population or so remote, cost them so much. So we see that that's going to be a big, big part of the solution too. Yeah. And that's my, again, going back to my, my long-term vision where we could actually give somebody a free phone. At the very least, it would be that basic, that basic internet, minimum internet. And say, look, you know, you have enough, you have, you know, I don't know how much it would be. It's 500 megas or a gigabyte. It's enough for your, man, if you watch YouTube videos all day, yeah, maybe it's not enough, but at least you have the basic amount to communicate to, you know, use Wikipedia to, you know, do the basic stuff. I think that's, that's the first step for sure. Absolutely. And possibly message and be in touch with the world that you're creating, not just by default and the education you've been exposed to, but to like inform yourself and create more from that place. Right. Because I think exactly. when we talk about quality and kind of chances, quality or, or a world that feels a lot more equal that possibly works for everyone, that is a big part of it is how informed is each individual and how empowered and encouraged to kind of create yeah. a world by design rather than by default. Yeah. Maybe on that note, I'd love to ask a, a personal question or two to you. Like, 
if you had an apprentice in your field right now, what would be like three messages that you could pass on? Wow, three messages to an apprentice. Well, I mean, it depends if, if you, if my field is just an entrepreneur or my field is as connectivity. Well, I mean, well, I think, yeah. I think that decentralization has a lot to be to do with that, and it's learning to to be to work and to be efficient, decentralized. In other words, everybody's not in the same place every day. And it sounds like from what I know about you, that's certainly how you work. And it's increasingly how I work where I'm in one place and I have a developer that's in this other place. And, you know, it kind of goes against the, the old way of doing things and the old way of thinking that, you know, putting everyone together in the same room is the most efficient way to do it, but that's not necessarily the case. But what else? Let's see, three things. Be flexible, be ready to roll with what comes. You know, I think if I had an apprentice, that'd be, especially in my life, if you're going to be my apprentice and hang out with me, you're going to have to be ready to just deal with things as they come because it always happens what you least expect or there's a last minute trip and, you know, some people can't deal with that. Um, so that would definitely be a, a big thing. And I think integrity would be the, the final one. I think that would be something that I would definitely impart to that apprentice. Like, look, at the end of the day, you are who you say you are and you got to trust each other. And if you violate that trust, then there's little that you can do. But um, which you know it goes back to blockchain again because that's the problem that blockchain is solving is that it re you know it takes the trust factor out or the need for trust out because yeah, trust in societies between individuals, but even societies as a whole, I think that's the key. You know, and and we look at countries that aren't very efficient that are having a hard time getting ahead. And really, it's a trust issue. It's a trust between individuals and their government, individual and politicians, individuals and, you know, the banks or, you know, traditional, you know, any, everyone's out to screw me and every man for himself. And there's no trust. And therefore, the economy is super inefficient. It's never going to go anywhere. It's never going to be, it's going to be well, at least very difficult for it to become better. So I think trust and, you know, integrity is, is huge. So I think that was three things. I don't know if that's exactly what you're looking for. I think, but. I think that the first one and the second one kind of came from the same place of like be flexible, right? Like flow with the yeah. life is really providing. And I think this is really a big learning um, that I'm making myself every day, but also I'm, I'm increasingly getting from a lot of entrepreneurs and very successful entrepreneurs around me because life can be by design, but life doesn't necessarily happen the way you predict it to happen. And it's very exciting to hear that through so many different lenses and perspectives because paradoxically, that's what we're trying to do on a systematic level. We're trying to force life into one certain pathway instead of realizing that's not how it happens on the individual level. Yeah. And possibly that's also where the blockchain comes in in terms of trust, right? Like to kind of help us to trust this larger design that's going on in a different way. So we as humanity, as individuals don't have to, to kind of uh, fret this like daily life and like make sure all of our plans are going to work out. I love the entrepreneurial journey as a reflection of that. And I think, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, Joel, also thank you so much for taking the time and being on the show. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, it's a pleasure to be able to share a little bit about my, uh, my journey and the stuff that I'm passionate about and, and where we're going and the things that we believe in. But How yeah, thanks a lot. Right now in this, in this step of your journey. You know, there's, I mean, I think if you're, you live in one of the markets where we're in and you're interested in, in that, for sure, you know, download the app, Piggy. If you're interested in knowing more about, you know, 
blockchain and what we're trying to do with connectivity, then of course on our website, siglo.com, you can find um, the white paper and things like that that talk a little bit more about it. We're always, it's a very, we take a very open approach to it, which means like if you have ideas and you read our white paper and you question something or you think something is missing, then we openly want that feedback because we think that everybody together, we make something greater. So it's a big need and we don't pretend to think that we have all the answers or we can solve it alone. So I'd love to, anyone who wants to be part of that conversation, please, adelante. Cool. Well, thank you again for having the time. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Joel Phillips and myself about the future of mobile transactions and how Seaglue, Joel's company, is a catalyst for digital and financial inclusion. I sure have learned a lot about blockchain in this conversation and kind of got to see more and more use cases of how we create and facilitate more equal opportunities through blockchain technology. So wherever you are in the world, make sure you subscribe to this podcast either on iTunes or Spotify and go out there, have yourself a fantastic day.